taking of the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. So uh, today we're going to be, we're going to continue our study in the book of Hebrews. Uh, if you're with us and you would uh, like to share this, by all means, feel free to do so. If you have any questions pertaining to the text or if you have any questions dealing, uh, gener- generally with theology or apologetics, be sure to type that in uh, the comment bar below. Now, let me also say to you that there are other ways that you can uh, ask questions uh, through the Bellator Christie ministry. If you go to bellatorchristie.com, that's B E. L-L-A-T-O-R, Christ with an I, dot com. And if you go to uh, next to where the banner is, on the right side, uh, there is a link where you can submit a question. And uh, Curtis and the staff of Bellator Christie and I will look over this question. And we'll try to answer it to the very best of our ability. Uh, so uh, that that's available to you. We want to be a resource for you, uh, a help for you, uh, as we're all going through this uh, this journey together. Let's pray, and we'll get into uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter two. Dear kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the people who may be joining us online. We know we're coming at a uh, very a time where most people probably aren't online, and we understand that. But uh, for those who may be joining us later on, we pray that you bless over and keep them. For those who may be accessing these resources, uh, we pray, Lord, that it would be a blessing uh, to them. We pray, Lord, that uh, for the family, uh, we, we're um, uh, talking today about... Uh, thinking about a family who lost their loved one, and we uh, pray that you bless over them. We, th- we think of the families uh, this week. We know several families this week who've lost loved ones, and we pray that you would give them strength through these uncertain days. Uh, again, Lord, we love you. We thank you for everything you do for us each and every day. And Lord, as we look at uh, the Hebrews chapter 2, we pray, Lord, as we would uh, you would bring our minds to your glory to remember who you are, and uh, and uh, to remember that you are superior to all things in heaven, on earth, uh, and even under the earth. We thank you, Lord, for the glory that is yours, and we just we just want to worship you today uh, as we study through your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. All right, so we're in Hebrews chapter two. Uh, that's where we're going to be. And uh, let me turn to my Bible, get that ready. Uh, and so we're going to be looking through this as we started last week. We gave an introduction to the book of Hebrews. Uh, we dis- we discussed that uh, we really don't know who the writer of the book of Hebrews is, uh, but it seems to be that uh, the apostle Paul was behind the writing, uh, even though he may not have written the book himself. And this really shouldn't be a problem for us, because if we really think about it, even the book of Romans and several other letters of Paul, he had what was called an amanuensis, a scribe, who would write down the words. In fact, uh, I hear the argument many times given that uh, if a person could not read or write, then they couldn't write a book. That's just not true. Anybody could write a book whether you could read or, uh, read or write or not uh, because there were these professional scribes. And what would happen is you would, uh, you would sit down with this scribe, you would, you would tell the scribe what you want to be published, and the scribe would write down your words. And then you would go back afterwards, or the scribe would go back afterwards, and read back to you what you wanted to write and publish. 
and if you gave your seal of approval, then they would send it on. So the whole notion that that you had to be highly literate to write a book is really not really not true. Anyone could have written a book. Of course, Paul uh, Paul would have been more than capable of writing and uh, publishing, uh, as he was a, a very uh, deeply trained individual. But even still, he often used the services of an amanuensis. And so, um, so here again, um, Paul, he may have been behind the book, but we, we saw last week that mo the most likely candidates are either Barnabas or Luke. Timothy is in the running as well, but Barnabas or Luke are the two most viable candidates. Uh, but we may find that in, our, in the end, we may find ourselves in the same position as was Oregon, Oregon of Alexandria to say that only God really knows who wrote the book in the end. Well, anyhow, last week we talked about how Jesus is superior to uh, the angels. But today we want to talk about, uh, and, and we're going to try to keep this around 30 minutes. Uh, we'll try not to go any longer than that, depending on if we have any questions. If we have you know, some questions, it may go a little bit beyond that, but we'll try to keep this to 30 minutes or less. Um, today we're talking about why you should listen to Jesus and why his words truly matter. Why Jesus' words truly matter. And if you go back and think about it, uh, think about Frank Sinatra. You remember Frank Sinatra, Mr. Blue Eyes himself. He used to sing a song that that uh, that went that said I did it my way, and you know that's that's a fascinating concept to think about. Uh, we did it. We do it our way. We we do it the way we do things the way we want to do them. But are the things that we want to do as we do them are they really the way that we should do them? Um, and that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Should we not listen to Jesus? And so that's the question that uh, the writer of Hebrews is going to talk about. So the writer of Hebrews makes the argument in chapter 2 that Jesus' words and his teachings are too important to take lightly. And so we're going to see this as we go through. And, and as we go through the lesson, see how God verified Jesus' words uh, and his life through the miracles that he performed. And look at the emphasis given to the sanctification process in salvation. Now, I do believe, let me say one more thing, and I don't mean to get off of a bunch of different rabbits, but let me just say this. I do believe in the sinner's prayer. I do believe that praying the sinner's prayer begins one's journey with Christ, but it doesn't end there. It's not like you say the sinner's prayer and then, and then, then everything's finished and there's nothing else you do. I believe that you say the prayer that, that that's a confession of Christ. We see this in Romans 10 9. We confess Jesus as Lord. We believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead. And from that point forward, we enter this new relationship with Christ. But it's an ongoing thing. So we are saved. We are, we are justified uh, by Christ, by our profession of faith. Then we begin this journey of sanctification, which ultimately culminates in our glorification in eternity. So, also look at the sinlessness of Jesus uh, that's emphasized towards the end of the chapter. Even though he suffered some of the same things that we do, be sure to look for that. Alright, so we're going to look at three sections tonight saying basically this, verses 1-4. through four, You should listen to Jesus because the penalties are too severe. That's the first reason you should listen to Jesus. Secondly, you should listen to Jesus because he is the person of salvation. He is the person of salvation. 
The question at the end of the day when we talk about salvation is who saves whom? And we understand and realize that Jesus is the one who saves us. Jesus is the one who saves us. And then thirdly, you should listen to Jesus because of his protection from sin. Jesus protects us from sin. And by the way, I'm doing this on the back deck. So if you hear some birds chirping or you hear the air conditioner coming on or you hear some strange sounds, don't be alarmed. And by the way, we've got balloons hanging up on the side of the deck now. So that's what that, <laughs> what that is if you're looking from the Facebook feed. So anyhow, I digress. Number one, you should listen to Jesus because the penalties are too severe. And so let's take a look first of all in uh, verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 2. The writer says, For this reason we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard. Now this is going back to chapter 1 where he's talking about in chapter 1, Jesus is superior to all the angels. Okay? And he quotes scripture. He quotes a numerous amount of texts to indicate and to prove the fact that Jesus is not a mere human being. By the way, a recent study showed that 52%, I think it was, 52% of, of professing evangelicals claimed that Jesus was a good moral teacher and not the Son of God. Try telling that to the writer of Hebrews. He would, he would say, huh, 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 you got that all wrong. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus, So he's not just a good moral teacher, he's the Son of God. You should listen to Jesus not only because of that, but you should listen to Jesus because he is superior to the angels. And for this reason, he goes in verse 1, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard. That early apostolic message delivered by Jesus, uh, given by Jesus, preserved and, and delivered by the earliest church, that should be something that we all pay attention to so that we will not drift away. Uh, there may be challenges in life. We may have situations and circumstances we all have to endure, but we should never stray from the faith that we have. And, and uh, the writer of Hebrews is dealing with individuals who thought about going back to the old way, and he says, listen, you don't want to do that because this reason you should remember the things that you've been told so that you won't drift away in your faith. And he says, if, for if the message spoken through angels was legally binding, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, then he goes on in the first part of verse 3, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Okay, so the author's first argument uh, of Christ's message comes from the binding of his message. We must pay attention all the more to what we have heard, argues that if Jesus is who he said he was, then eternal issues are at stake. What you do with Jesus is the most important thing in life. Now, listen, I've mentioned before that politics can't save us. Politicians can't save us. Because politics, politicians come and go. Today's hot star will be tomorrow's uh, past commodity. Uh, it'll be the past old news. Things in this society travel at a rapid pace. Okay, politicians come and go. Political movements come and go. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, so if that's true, if Jesus really is who he said he was, and he really did what the New Testament tells us he did, then eternal matters are at stake. So what you do with Jesus has eternal consequences to it. 
And that's why you should listen to what Jesus has to say. So, and, and again, that all comes down to the resurrection. If the resurrection is true, then all of Christianity is true because it verifies the work, the message, the teachings of Jesus. That's God the Father's verification of all that Jesus said and did because of the resurrection. Now he goes on to say that so that we will not drift away. This compares the listeners to sailors uh, disregarding danger signs and sailing into rocky waters. Just think about the Titanic at this point, at this juncture. Uh, I was, I, according to one study, the uh, the the pilots of the uh, uh, of the Titanic were given ample warning, telling them that there were icebergs in the region. However, they didn't listen to those warnings. They they went full steam ahead, and because of that, they run it ran into an iceberg, unfortunately, and and killing numerous people. Beloved, understand that we're given warnings in Scripture for a reason. It's not that God is trying to be an ogre. It's not that God is trying to be uh, belligerent or anything of the sort. We're given warnings because God knows best. He is omnisapien. He knows all there is to know, and He is the all-wise God. And so God has given us instruction to help us in this journey we call life. And so He he talks about this, this message spoken through angels was legally binding, indicating that failure to keep the message brings severe yet just punishment and so this is one of the reasons why you should listen to what Jesus has to say now in verse 3 we see the communication from Christ um, and and um, the communication from Christ and the Apostles so he says uh, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation so he's pointing that back to salvation the salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord this gospel message first came by the words of Jesus Christ. Now, do we have an exact, precise, word-for-word uh, -word translation of everything that Jesus said? Probably not, and here's the reason why. Jesus most likely taught in Aramaic, and what we have in, in the gospels are, are Greek texts. Now, is that to say that they got the message wrong? Of course not. But that's just to say that if anyone who's done language studies will know that it's impossible to get a precise word-for-word -word translation. So, so they give the meaning of what Jesus says. They give the, the voice of Jesus. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't trust. You should trust what the, the teachings of Jesus are in the Gospels. You should trust them wholeheartedly. Uh, but what this is saying is that this, these teachings originated with Jesus. And then he goes on to say, then it was confirmed to us by those who heard them. It was preserved by the earliest church. And as such, we are also caretakers of this message as we deliver, deliver this message to a lost and dying world. Jesus is the origin of this message. It has its root. Our faith has its root back with Christ Jesus. And we must remember that what Christ tells us, what he instructs us to do, is of utmost importance. And so we are caretakers of his message. But it's his message. It's the message of Jesus. Okay? It's the message of Jesus. And we are the caretakers of that message. And the question is, and this is something that uh, haunts me, quite, quite frankly, the apostles took seriously the preservation of Jesus's message. Do we take the same? Uh, do we do we take the same care and concern that the earliest church did with the teachings of Jesus? Are we concerned about preserving the message of Jesus? Are we concerning ourselves about making sure that future generations know 
about the gospel of Christ? That's a question we all must ask ourselves. Verse 4, we see the confirmation of Christ's miracles. Uh, and we see in verse 4, he says this, um, At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to His will. So the third argument that, uh, that the writer of Hebrews gives us is that we should not only listen to Jesus because the origins are in Christ and because um, that His message is legally binding, we should also listen because it was confirmed by miracles. The ministry of Jesus was confirmed by miracles. And He grants us three types of miracles. Number one, we see that there were signs the Greek term is Simeon. These are miracles that confirm the message of Jesus and the apostles. So, for instance, take, take for instance, the reason we don't see... I think God does miracles unbeknownst to us all the time. But I think the reason we don't see the spectacular miracles as we, as we once did is because that God normally uses these miracles to confirm a teaching or message delivered. For instance, consider this. Jesus spoke about being the bread of life. After uh, He spoke about being the bread of life. And then he turns around and feeds 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Quite frankly, uh, women and children weren't counted in the number. So the number of people that Jesus fed was more likely around 20,000 people with a few small loaves of bread and a few fish. This is why outside the, outside the resurrection of Jesus... The, res the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels because it left such a great impact. But notice there's a connection between the teaching of Jesus and the work of Jesus. A miracle that increasingly understands, in, uh, a miracle is any miracle that increasingly understands and corroborates Jesus' message would be called a sign. Okay, so that would be a sign confirming something that Jesus said or the early church said. The wonders, uh, the word teros, or teros, are miracles that confirm end-time promises of the afterlife and God's approval. Uh, these events indicate the undeniable presence of God and power of God. Think of the, think of the exorcisms that Jesus performed at this time. Uh, an example of, would be Jesus' power uh, uh, over the demoniac, and then God's voice audibly speaking, and then, of course, consider Jesus' transfiguration as another wonder that took place. These are confirming that the, the kingdom of God had come to earth and had, was coming through Jesus Christ. There were also miracles. Dunamis, dunamis uh, this is uh, many times falsely ascribed to being the origin of the word dynamite. Now, dynamite... Uh, <laughs> It's, it's a different thing. All right. The word dunamis means the power, uh, uh, the mighty works. These attest to Jesus' works and superhuman power. An example of this would be Jesus' calming of the storm and walking on water. Now, being one who doesn't swim very well, I wished I, it was where I could walk on water. What a great thing that would be. I wouldn't have to worry about drowning or anything of the sort. Uh, but uh, walking on water, raising the dead, healings, and his own resurrection. These were miracles, the dunamis, the power, the work of God, the, the, the power of God given. And then finally, we see the distribution of gifts. And this refers to the Holy Spirit's confirmation of Christ. Uh, the fact that believers receive the Holy Spirit and possess spiritual gifts are a direct result of Christ's power 
and, and demonstrates the authenticity of his message. That's why the New Testament tells us that if you have the indwelling Holy Spirit, that is a sign of the work of Christ. Well, I've got to move on. All right, so we see the second section. And so uh, we see the second section is you should listen to Jesus because he is the person of salvation. Salvation is is only possible because of what Christ has done. And we see, first of all, in verses 5 through 8, that Christ's sovereign ministry is given for all people. Now notice he says this, For he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about, but someone somewhere has testified, and uh, here he is reading uh, Psalm 8, 5 through 7, what is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor, and subjected under everything under his feet. Now, God did not entrust the salvation, what the author is saying, to people, of people to a mere angel. So it's false to think that Jesus is an angel. He's not an angel. But rather, through himself, uh, through Christ... Salvation was given for all people. Despite Jesus' humanity, he possesses authority greater than the angels. That's what he's saying. And so the author of Hebrews then recounts the psalm from memory. This is Psalm 8, 5-7. through And this describes the amazing love that God has for humanity. Despite the insignificance of humanity compared to God, the Creator made humans little less than Himself. And just think about this. What an amazing thing we find here. And this is something that probably amazes most of us if we really stop to think about it. How could a God as vast and grand as God is care anything about us who were so insignificant compared to Him? I mean, just the other night, uh, whenever it was clear outside, I went on the uh, sidewalk and, and looked up at the stars. I actually laid down on the sidewalk. Uh, I laid down on the sidewalk, just looked up to the heavens. And looked at the, the night sky. The humidity was breaking, and so the, the night sky was clear. I'm a stargazer anyhow. I love looking at the stars. But I looked at the, looked at the, the large, uh, what was it called, the magnetic, uh, magnetic cloud, I think is what the term for it. But it's, a, it's an armband of the Milky Way. And it just dawned on me, thinking about how beautiful and majestic our universe is, how amazing our planet is. We have a beautiful creation that God has given us. And just to think that compared to Him, we are nothing. But even still, this God has an everlasting love for us. Why does He love us, given all the mess that we bring upon ourselves and upon the world? Why does God love us? I don't know, but I'm so glad He does. And what an amazing thing to consider when we think about how vast God is and the love that He has for us is even greater than anything we can ever think or imagine. Subjection of Christ to become lower than the angels was only temporary. Christ left the throne of heaven to become one of us. And that's just a remarkable thing to consider. That Not only that God loves us as insignificant as we are to Him, but that Christ would be willing to leave the throne of heaven, to put on flesh, to make his tabernacle with us, to become, to become one of us, and then eventually die for our sins. It's an amazing thing to consider. A powerful message, really. 
And then we see in verse 9 that Christ's submissive ministry is for all people. We see that he says, for in, subje for in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. Basically saying this, that he came to subject creation and the kingdom of Satan under his authority. Now, we don't see it in its totality yet. Okay, The world is still a mess. Okay, uh, the, the world is still a mess. We see wars and rumors of wars. We see riots and we see all these things taking place. It's not yet. The, the kingdom of God has come, but it's already not yet type of situation. The kingdom of God has already come, but it's not yet complete in it, the subjugation of all authorities. All this stuff working is a process. All the things we see going on globally are part of the process where God is subjecting the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, under his authority. So take heart, even though we're going through difficult times. All of this is bringing us to the time when Christ returns. So we see three things. Jesus became a human being, was made lower than angels. Two, God permitted his son to experience human death so that all would be granted God's grace and we inherit eternal life for those who re respond and repent of their sins. That is, not everybody, but all who respond and repent of their sins. And thirdly, Christ will be crowned with glory and honor, and that is something that we need to consider as well. So our last section, and we've got five minutes. I told you 30 minutes or less. We'll try to keep it at that. Uh, you should listen to Jesus because of his protection from sin. And so, first of all, we see Christ's saving ministry protects us from sin in verse 10. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate for uh, that God for whom and through whom all things exist. Now think about that. It's because of God that anything exists. If God didn't exist, then nothing would exist. Because it's through God, through whom, for whom, and through whom all things exist. He's the source of their salvation or should make the source of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Here's the thing we've got to remember. God many times puts us through, uh, through, through trials and tribulations to make us into the image of Christ because Christ, who left the throne of heaven, suffered for us. It was through his suffering, we see, that the, that the perfect source of salvation would come. There's a purpose to our suffering. We may not understand what it is, but there's a purpose behind it. If we trust God and if we depend upon Him through our times of suffering. And so uh, we see that uh, this ministry protects us. God is the source of the existence of all things. Uh, His Son would, be, would not be exempt from human suffering. Through Jesus' suffering, God would better identify with human beings as He went through the ordeal most human beings suffer. Here's the amazing thing again about Christianity. We're not talking about God who, who doesn't know what we're going through. We're talking about a God who left the throne of heaven to become one of us, who, who experienced the human experience so he can identify with us far more than anything we can think or anyone else, quite frankly, on earth. So, verses 11 through 13, we see Christ sanctifying ministry, providing his holiness. Uh, we see here it says that for the one who sanctifies and those who, who uh, are sanctified... All have one Father. We all share us the same Father, and that's God the Father. That is why, it doesn't matter if you're black or white or, or, or no matter where you come from, we all share the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, and here he quotes 
um, he, he's gonna he quotes Psalm twenty two twenty two. Um, I will proclaim your names to my brother and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. And so uh, he, that is Psalm twenty two. And so he goes on to yeah twenty two twenty two. And then he quotes Isaiah eight seventeen in verse in which says again. Uh, I will trust in him, and uh, and Isaiah eight eighteen, and here I am with the children God gave to me. Okay, so um, without going too deeply in that, let me just simply get, give a few points. The one who enters a covenant relationship with Christ shares a common lineage, a kinship with the Father. And again, it doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter uh, what part of the world you where you reside. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, uh, because of the common bloodline we find in Christ. The one who sanctifies refers to Jesus. Those who are sanctified refers to all believers who receive Christ. Christ sanctifies believers through their covenant relationship with Himself. Sanctification doesn't mean that the believer is without sin. So, beloved, let me tell you something. If you come to Christ and you find that you still mess up and make mistakes, that's part of the course. Because we are not what we used to be, but we're not what we're going to be. We're going through this process of sanctification where God is molding us and making us into the image of Christ. And so this is a lifelong process that culminates in heaven. The covenantal union unites the believer with Christ as they now share a common kinship with the Heavenly Father. And again, he quotes Psalm 22, 22, Isaiah 8, 17, and Isaiah 8, 18. All right, so we go down to verses 14 and 15. Christ's subduing ministry pulverizes Satan's domain. Uh, he is going to bring the power of Satan in sub under subjection uh, under his authority. Now, since the, kingdom, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Here is the wonderful thing about this. He, he presents two deep powerful truths. Verses 14 and 15 are theological powerhouses. Number one, Jesus shared the same humanity with other human beings. He went through the same things that we do, that we encounter. We can't think that we're the only person who's ever experienced the things that we do. There have been other people out there who've experienced the same things, and Christ himself Christ himself can identify with us. He can identify with our sufferings because he went through the same things that we do. But secondly, Jesus' death uh, is shown to be superior uh, to, to the previous covenants, and that was, that was shown in chapter 1. But secondly, Jesus became what he had not become before. He became a human being. He is able to sympathize with us. But Jesus' death was not a matter of defeat, but rather it was a surefire way that he would defeat and in fact destroy the devil's infiltration of the earth. By dying and resurrecting from the dead, Jesus defeated death. And for the child of God, death has died and life reigns supreme. 
And we see that because of that, in verse 15, we no longer are in slavery under sin, and no longer should we live by the fear of death. In fact, we should not live by fear at all. Christ has given us a spirit of power and boldness and courage. And if there's one thing I've learned through life, is that God has our backs far more than anyone else ever could. You know, people, you, you can't always trust people. You can't always do because, listen, everyone, we're all sinners, saved by the grace of God if, we, if we're believers. But understand this, people are fickle. P people, people will sometimes lie to you. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the constant source of authority and power and glory. And if God is for you, Romans 8.31 says, If God is for you, then who can be against you? As Isaiah says, What weapon formed against us shall prosper if God the Creator, Jesus His Son, and, and God the Holy Spirit in filling us is on our side? If we have the triune God on our side, we have nothing to fear whatsoever. Jesus, I mean, some other, some other scriptures you can take note of here as well. And I know I'm going over the 30-minute mark, but we're about finished. Jesus triumphed over the devil on the cross, Colossians 2, 15. Sin is the cause of death, we see in Romans 5, 12. Our sin was the reason for Jesus' death as he was sinless. While Satan is still active like a roaring lion in 1 Peter 5, 8, he has limited power in the present age, and we see this in Ephesians 6, 11 and 1 Timothy 3, 7. So therefore, Jesus' work on the cross and resurrection assures us that Satan's complete demise is certain in the future, and we see this in Revelation 20, verse 10. So death was introduced to humanity by Satan. Eternal life was introduced to humanity through Jesus Christ. And so we have no reason to fear whatsoever. All right, let me close up with this. We're about coming to a conclusion our conclusion in verses 16 through 18. Christ's sympathizing ministry shows his passion towards those who were suffering. For it is clear, Hebrew says, that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. This doesn't mean that God doesn't love angels. Of course he loves angels, but angels are in a different state than we are. Okay? He didn't offer this to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Again, the love of God towards us is something remarkable if you really think about it. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters of... Uh, hold on a second. In matters of... Turn the page... In matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Powerful things. Powerful truths expressed in those verses. A couple of things we see in verse 16. Christ did not save by assuming an angelic form. Some may have thought that God would send an angel to save them, but God chose a different route. He chose by coming to earth and assuming the, the role as a, of a human being. Second, Christ did assume a human form to offer salvation to human beings. Now the question may be asked, why didn't he seek to save fallen angels? It may be, a, 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 I don't have the answer to that. It may be an issue of free will or the temptation of sin could be issues. 
but we see we see that humans are often tempted by Satan and by his the sin that he introduced uh, to creation. That of course Adam and Eve brought that into uh, into the creation itself. But angels made the decision without temptation to rebel against God. So that may be part of the answer. But verse seventeen restates the main principles of verse fourteen, stating that the incarnation of Christ allows him to be a merciful and faithful high priest. A lot of people think of God as being up in heaven with a lightning bolt in his hand, so, so thinking that if you mess up, you make a mistake, he's going to throw down a lightning bolt or uh, be like Thor throwing down a hammer and strike you the first time you make a mistake. That's not the picture of God we see in Scripture. God is patient. God is kind. I mean, listen, the only reason, I mean, as bad as our society has become, the fact that God hasn't wiped us off the face of the earth shows his patience and love and compassion. Ezekiel 18 tells us that, it, that God had much rather see someone come to repentance than to cast judgment on a person. The incarnation of Christ shows that Christ is the ultimate high priest. And it shows that the incarnation made it possible for Christ to make atonement for the sins of the people. Only God's sacrifice made it possible to have a once-for-all atonement in one day. And this was actually prophesied in the book of Zechariah. I'm going to read this to you real quickly. I know time has passed, but bear with me just a moment. Zechariah, let me get to it. Um, chapter 3, verse 9, and it says this. Let me flip over there to it. 3, verse 9. It says this. Notice the stone I have set before Joshua. On that one stone are seven eyes. I will engrave an inscription on it. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies, and I will take away the iniquity of this land in a single day. He will take away the iniquity of the land in a single day. That's an amazing thing. A once-for-all atonement given by Christ Jesus. Amazing. And that was prophesied in the book of Zechariah. Amazing. And as Curtis says, and I give a big old hearty amen, thank the Lord that he is patient. He is patient with us and thankful for that. I'm thankful that he's patient with me. I don't, I don't know about anybody else. I know uh, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I've done a lot of things wrong in my life. But I'm glad that he's been patient with me. And so, anyhow, let me move on. While Hebrews is focused on the divine nature of Jesus, verse 18 fully displays Jesus' humanity. Jesus was tempted in every single way that any human being is. He was tempted in the same ways that you and I are tempted. He was tempted in every single way that we are tempted, yet he never sinned. That's the, that's the, that's the critical aspect. He never sinned. So he was tempted with every form of sin unimaginable, but he didn't sin. Even on the cross, Jesus was tempted as he could have easily come off the cross. He could have called down legions of angels to come to his rescue. At any moment, he could have called for that. But he was patient up to the point of death. Man, can think about that. That's just amazing. He had the authority to call down legions of angels and to take him off the cross, but he was patient even up to the point of death where he gave up the spirit, gave up the ghost. In fact, that term gave up the ghost even shows that he took his spirit. This amazing thing, that the Greek terminology, if I understand it correctly, seems to indicate that Jesus pulls his spirit from his body to, to the Father. 
even on the cross, Jesus was tempted, but he went through the pains of death so that you and I would have life. By going successfully, by, by successfully enduring temptation, that means that he is able to help us overcome our temptations as he's been through every single temptation that you, that you encounter too, but he didn't sin. So what can we take from this lesson? Let me give you a few applications. Jesus, uh, let me go on down here. Uh, we must listen to what Jesus tells us about God, eternity, and life in general. It's a dangerous precedent to find oneself outside of Jesus' teachings. You're either in a state of grace or you're in a state of judgment. Either one of the two. Those are the two options. There's not a third way. You're either in under the grace of God or you're under the judgment of God. So you need to listen to what Jesus says. You need to listen to him. Secondly, while life is challenging, we can live without fear. Did you hear that, friend? We can live without fear because Jesus has assured our salvation. What is there to fear if you know the one who holds the future in the palm of his hands? What is there to fear if you know that you have the promises of heaven? Thirdly, when facing temptation, look to Jesus for help. That doesn't mean that it will always be easy, but with Christ's help, he will make a way for you to escape the temptations you face. And then lastly, Jesus has defeated Satan and has made a clear path for a person to be saved. And that includes you, my friend. If you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to enter that covenant relationship with him today. Now, that doesn't mean that you just say a prayer and that's, that's, that's all. I mean, what it means is that prayer begins your life, begins your new journey with Christ. And so, in other words, we can't just say a prayer and think it's magic pixie dust and then live any way we please and never do anything else. No, that's the entrance into this covenant agreement with God and that God sanctifies us through the process of our lives. Understand this, friends. God loves you far more than you can ever think or imagine. And when you're tempted to fear, and when you're tempted to throw up your hands, remember that God will see you through any difficulty you face. Let me just say one last word on this, and, and, uh, and I, feel, I felt the Spirit of God leading me to say this even before we, we uh, began this program. There, there are a lot of young people today, um, and, and I don't say this in, in any way derogatory, I don't say this in any way, um, being, being, uh, being any, any, anything bad whatsoever. Th there are a lot of people today, a lot of our youth are being plagued, and I, and I think the devil's behind a lot of it. A lot of our youth are thinking that suicide is the answer to their problems. And friends, we're seeing an increased number of young people taking their lives. I want to say this first and foremost, that, that suicide is not the unpardonable sin. Jesus says there's only one sin that uh, is unforgivable, and that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And I take Jesus as his word of that. But, but I want to also say to you this, my friend. We may have fears in life. We may have problems. We may have anxieties in life. But give those over to God no matter how bad things may look for you at the present time, there's nothing that God can't help you through. As a track, track and field coach once said, 
uh, whenever I was on the track team. Believe it or not, I was on the track and field team, but I didn't run. I did the shot putting discus, you know, the, the, the throwing things, the, head, the lifting things there. But he said something that has resonated with me to this very day. Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. I'm going to say it again. Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. It doesn't matter what you're facing, friends. Suicide is not the answer. Trust God's sovereign plan. God is patient with you. God will equip you. God will help you if you will simply trust and depend upon Him. Now, I, I made myself a liar today. I said this would be 30 minutes, and now here we are, 45 minutes. I do apologize for that. I'm going to try to do better in our future Bible studies to try to keep it in under, under 30 minutes, if at all possible. But, hey, I am a preacher. I like to talk, so, you know. It is what it is. If I only had a bucket of fried chicken here, that'd be perfect. That'd be perfect. Had fried chicken and have a, have a podcast. We'll be we'll be ready to roll. All right. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll close. And again, uh, coming next Wednesday, uh, hopefully it may be around six o'clock. It may be seven. We're going to work out the details as we move along. As I enter this new phase of ministry, I'll, I'll know more in the next few weeks to be able to get a certain. And you're right, Curtis, that's the preacher coming out in me. You amen to that. But I'll get a, as, I'm, as I move into this new phase of ministry, uh, I'm, I'll have a certain time set for you. It may fluctuate a little bit, and we may end up having to switch days. I, I don't know. What, it'll, it may fluctuate a little bit. I'm going to try to keep it on Wednesdays if at all possible. Uh, but, again, this is a work in progress. Uh, I'm just thankful for the opportunity that God has given us through this online ministry. I'm thankful for, for the folks who uh, work with us at uh, Bellator Christie with Curtis and, and uh, many others who, who uh, contribute to our articles and things of this nature. I think God is about to do something great with the Bellator Christie Ministries. I'm not sure exactly what He's going to do, but I have a feeling that God's going to do something great with this, uh, with this ministry. And so I'm just excited to see what God has in store. All right, let's close in prayer, and I'm going to keep on talking. All right, dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the blessings you've given to us. We thank you for the opportunity to open up the bread of life, Lord. Open up your word and to study these truths. Lord, we thank you as we're here outdoors and the beauty of your creation. We hear the birds chirping. We hear uh, the crickets nearby. We just thank you, Lord, that no matter what we're facing in life, that you are superior to our problems. We thank you, Lord, that you're greater than everything we face on earth. We thank you, Lord, that you don't give us a spirit of fear, but you give us the power of a sound mind. You give us strength. You give us encouragement. You give us, you give us your patience and of your love and of your grace daily. So, Lord, help us to focus on those things as we go through this journey of life together. Help us to truly love you as you've called us to love and help us to truly love one another and see one another as you see us and to truly love one another as you've called us to do. We thank you for all the things you do for us. We thank you for the, the ministry that you've given to us all. And help us to all go out and give someone heaven this week. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. This is Brian Chilton for the Bellator Christian Ministries. God bless you. We'll be back sometime next Wednesday. Hopefully uh, it'll be Wednesday afternoon, but we'll wait and see uh, how things go. 
God bless. We love you, and we hope to see you back next time. Be listening for a podcast. We've got a podcast coming out on this, and we also have our regular Bellator Christian podcasts, which are published every Wednesday night. God bless, and we'll see you next time. listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristie.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristie.com now and submit your question. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today.